Well, Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. That will uh, continue this week. We will have a Good Friday service on uh, Friday night at 7 o'clock. If you're available, we'd love for you to be here. And, uh, and then we'll be here on Easter Sunday at 9 and at 1045. You've got a card in your pew, and there were some outside. Uh, if you want to take some of those, there is a stamp already on it. If you have someone that you'd like to put an address on that label and invite them to be able to church, you could drop it in the mail. If you didn't want to drop it in the mail, you wanted to hand it to somebody personally, you go ahead and do that. If you need more than one, I'm sure there may be some left over. You can just be able to pick them up. If you need some, you can call the office and we'll be able to give them to you. But we hope that uh, your family and friends will be coming along as well. 926 is what we had last year between our two campuses. And uh, so let's have 927 th this year, okay? Thanks for inviting your family and friends. Well, Palm Sunday was something of a parade for uh, Jesus. The only parade he ever had, the only time he allowed himself to kind of be elevated uh, above the crowd and have some kind of accolades. Uh, the only time I can find in Scripture that he, was able, that he rode on uh, any type of animal. You would expect a, a king to ride on a, a big steed or a stallion, but Jesus, the Prince of Peace, uh, comes in on a donkey, as was, as was prophesied in Zechariah. It was something of a parade, and I don't know about you, but I like parades, and I've been involved in several parades one that is really, really important uh, to me and a good memory for me, I can tell you this because my mom's not here this morning. Because if she knew I did this, she'd probably still ground me at 56 years of age. But it was 1975, in October of 1975, the Reds had just defeated the Red Sox. Four games to three. Everybody, rem some of you remember that, don't you? Okay, some of you weren't even a twinkle in your daddy's eye yet. Okay, but it was a great, it was a great World Series, and the game six of that series, one of the best baseball games ever, and the Reds won it. And so the next morning, I was a went to school at Lafayette High School, like uh, where I attended, and and I was a junior in 1975. And so I drove my car to school, as the rest of all the cool guys drove their car to school, and we would park them out in front, and we would sit on the hoods, in the, we'd get there early and sit on the hoods in the mornings and look cool for all the babes that would be able to come. And that was what we did before school, okay? So on this, whatever day it was, morning after that game, we were all sitting there looking cool like we normally were doing, and somebody said, hey, they're probably having a big parade in Cincinnati today, and said, yeah, it probably is, and somebody, not me, of course, somebody said, let's go. So we piled in the car, and we went, okay? Skipped school and went. That's why I can't tell it when mom was here, because she still doesn't know this happened. All right. And so we skipped school and we drove to Cincinnati right at 5th and Vine in the Fountain Square and they had the whole parade and we got there a little late and there were, we were like five or six rows back from the people and I couldn't see very well and I shimmied up this little light pole and the police got all after me for doing that so I had to shimmy back down. And so we had a great time, saw all the Reds coming by in their convertible Cadillacs and Lincolns or whatever they were back then and saw the, uh, the stage up there and they all got to be able to speak. It was a great, great time. Now... There are consequences for your behavior, okay? 
Now, fortunately, my consequences were not that great because my parents did not find out. Only the school found out that I skipped. And I can handle any school consequences, but mom and dad, I couldn't handle those consequences. So I got suspended from school. They still didn't find out because of some shenanigans that I pulled. But I love that parade, and I remember it as if it was yesterday. It was a really big deal and would be worth the paddling that mom gave me if she ever found out, okay? Now, don't you all ever do anything like that, okay? All right. Because your parents always find out sooner or later. Uh, Jesus had something of a parade, didn't he? And we don't know much about the parade. The uh, evidence uh, in Scripture is not that great. He said he rode in on a donkey says they shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna was an Old Testament word for God come save us. The palm branches were an Old Testament symbol of victory that many times they waved after they won a war, a victory. Um, one of the gospels says that the Pharisees were looking, and you saw uh, up there that the Romans and uh, the Pharisees were both looking, and who is this guy? Who is this man? They're all following after him. All the gospels tell just a little bit of story, but don't give us too much detail. We don't know who was in the parade. Other than Jesus, we assume his disciples were in the parade. It's not said that they were. We assume that they were. So there's a whole lot of things left out of the Palm Sunday story. So if you will allow me, hopefully using a sanctified imagination, to be able to fill in some of the things that the Bible doesn't talk about, because I was just curious who was in the parade. And I'm sure that the disciples, and it was Passover, so there was a lot of people that made a pilgrimage and so there's a lot of hangers-on, but I just wonder if there were a few people that were in the parade that you and I may have heard about. I wonder if Lazarus was in the parade, because it was only a few days before that he was touched. And he was risen from the dead. I wonder if Lazarus was, was walking in. I wonder if, if, if he was waving a palm branch. I wonder if he was shouting, Hosanna. You know, a lot of things can go into our salvation. A lot of things go into when we come to Christ and receive Him as the Lord and Savior of our life. But man, Lazarus really understood being reborn. Lazarus really understood being made new. Lazarus really understood passing from, from uh, death to life. He understood that totally. And I wonder what that would have done to him. And I'm using my imagination, I know. But if he was in that crowd, and very much he could have been, he was in that crowd. He would have been able to understand that Jesus' touch on your life makes you brand new. There's lots of things that salvation can mean to us, and it means forgiveness and a lot of other things, but one thing that salvation means, it's a new start. It's brand new. It's being born again. I've passed from the old, and I'm into the new. And Lazarus had to know that because the King James says he was already in the grave, and he stinketh. Remember the old King James there? And Jesus called Lazarus, and he came out. People were celebrating. And I know I'm using my imagination, but I'm wondering if Lazarus was there, and he was celebrating new life. He was celebrating new birth. He was celebrating that he is no longer dead. He was dead in his transgressions and sin, but he has been risen to new. That's part of what salvation is, friends. And I wonder, just wondering, was he there and experiencing that new life? I wonder if Zacchaeus was there. Just a, 
in Luke's account, just a, few cha- just a few chapters before the Palm Sunday thing, Zacchaeus climbs up his wee little tree and, 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 and does his thing there. And Jesus comes into his home. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a rich tax collector. It doesn't say he was a tax collector. It said he was a rich and a chief tax collector. We've said this many times. Tax collectors are different in their time than in our time. The only way a tax collector made money was he charges more tax than was actually Rome wanted, and he kept the leftover. So let's say Rome wants a buck. I charge a buck fifty, and I keep the fifty cents. That's how I make money. That's why he was a traitor to his own Jewish people. He was making money off of them by extorting money from them. The Bible says Jesus, when he visited Zacchaeus, said, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. You too are a child of Abraham. You know, he probably didn't feel much like a child of Abraham because the Jewish people probably excluded him. He was a traitor. He, he was working for those foreigners, those, those Romans. He probably didn't feel like part of the group. He probably didn't feel like part of the nation Israel. And, and Jesus made it a point to say, this man too is a child of Abraham. And he was welcomed back then to the family. And part of what salvation means is that you're into the body of Christ. Part of what salvation means is that you're into the family. That's why sometimes in, in older times, 10, 15, 20, and 30 years back, we'd address one another as brother and sister. My dad pastored little, small, little Methodist churches all of his life. In every single church dad ever pastored. His name was Junior. He was Clarence F. Atherton Jr., so they all called him June. No one called him Pastor June. No one called him Reverend. Everybody called him Brother June. That was in the kind of warm-hearted religion that I was raised up in rural Kentucky. And that's a very good phrase. If you're a Christian this morning, you're my brother or you're my sister, whether you like it or not. The Bible says that We have been adopted, Romans chapter 8. We have been adopted into the family. And that adoption came by His grace through our faith. You realize everybody's not a child of God. It's it's, it's kind of cool to be able to say that. In some liberal circles, it's cool to be able to say, child of God, child of God, everybody's a child of God. No, but you have to be adopted into the family. And you are grafted into the vine, Jesus said. And that adoption comes by faith. And I've been adopted, you've been adopted, if you're a Christian. And I can call you brother, I can call you sister. We're in the family of God. The Bible says, Romans chapter 8, something I cannot get my mind wrapped around. It says, I'm an heir of God, because God is my father. I'm an heir of God. And listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You figure that one out. That means, it means he's your brother. Zacchaeus was welcomed back into the family. Zacchaeus was given an identity. Zacchaeus no longer was a traitor and an outsider. And he said, Jesus said, this man too is a son of Abraham. I wonder if Zacchaeus was in that parade and he was feeling part of the group. Isn't it good to feel part of the group? Good to feel part of the family? Good to know that you have a home? Good to know that you have an identity? brothers 
and sisters in the faith. I got saved when I was 34 years of age, and shortly after that, maybe a couple of weeks after that, my dad sent me a, some type of a Christian book. Okay, I'm sure I still have it, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. It's probably in a box somewhere. But dad, signed. dad always would sign his books that he would give to somebody. He would just sign a little note to so-and-so from so-and-so. And dad, in, in that first book that dad sent me after I was a Christian, after I was saved, he wrote, to my son in the flesh and to my brother in the faith. To my son in the flesh and blood, to my brother in the faith. Part of salvation is you have a new identity, part of the family. You're part of the church. Oh, not the Nazarene church, the Presbyterian church, Baptist church, Pentecostal church. No, no, that's not the church I'm talking about. The Bible understands the church to be not a denomination. The Bible understands the word church as the word ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who are called out of their homes to worship God. You're born into the church. You're born into the church. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, you too. You, you that were a traitor and no one would have you over their house, no one be hospitable to you, you, you're a child of Abraham too. Was Zacchaeus there? I wonder. Part of salvation is not only what Lazarus probably understood, reborn, new life, but also I'm fully included and fully accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. Wow. In Mark's account, just one chapter in Mark's account of Palm Sunday, the blind man's name is Bartimaeus. He's sitting beside the roadside begging, the scripture says. And he hears that Jesus is coming along and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples tried to be able to hush him up a little bit, but... Uh, he cried all the louder, this text says. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, this text says, and said, call him. And he went to Jesus. He went to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I'm blind, I need to see. I wonder if Bartimaeus was, was in that parade. Once a blind man but now can see. I wonder if Bartimaeus, who received a, a healing touch from Jesus, a Bartimaeus who, 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 who was lost in darkness and, and blindness, he had a touch from Jesus, and Jesus opened his eyes, and part of salvation, and we, we hear in our songs, is I was, once was blind, but now I see. Things kind of make sense, and, and two and two starts equaling four, and, and, and both ends start meeting in the middle, and I once didn't understand, and I couldn't figure it all out, and didn't know my purpose in life, and didn't know what this thing was all about. I once was blind, but now I see. And it starts opening up to me, and little by little, I start understanding. Oh, I'll never understand all of this, but little by little, I start understanding God in His ways. I wonder if Bartimaeus was part of the parade. I wonder if he was part of the parade. And he represents a part of salvation that, 
that, that we, we must come and, and admit that, that we don't know or that we are blind or what I have in myself is not enough. I must come and admit my need. And you know, a lot of people can't do that. And, Bar- and Bartimaeus doesn't have any trouble saying, this is what the problem is. I'm blind. And I wonder if he represents you and me and some other people that there was a time in our life we just admitted that we were blind. That we humbled ourselves enough to be able to admit that we were blind. And we needed to see. I'm not seeing good. I'm not understanding this thing. I need some help from outside me. I can't pick myself up by my own bootstraps anymore. I admit my need. And Bartimaeus did that. Was Bartimaeus in the parade? I don't know. Was Zacchaeus in the parade? Was Lazarus in the parade? Maybe. They all represent a different part of the way that Jesus touches us. Uh, There were some people that weren't in the parade, too. Using my imagination. People that weren't in the parade. uh, I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus a seeker. Man, us preachers, we would die to have people come to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Wow, that makes our day. And so, so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And so we have a conversation that starts going back and forth between Jesus and this rich young ruler. And at the end of that conversation, the text says that the rich young ruler walked away sadly. And so why did this rich young ruler who, who, who came and said, what, what can I do? He was hungry, he was thirsty. What can I do to be saved? Why did he end up walking away sadly? His text says he walked away sadly because his possessions were very great. See, Jesus put his finger on an area in the rich young ruler's life that was keeping him from God. There's nothing wrong with possessions unless you elevate possessions to places too high in your life. There's nothing wrong with material things unless you elevate material things to something that is too much a place in your life. And evidently, Jesus, being Jesus, could see what this man's problem was. And he's put his hand on the problem of material things and he put his hand on his problem of possessions. And the Bible says, The rich young ruler walked away sadly because his possessions were great. Wow. One of the reasons people don't come to Christ is because there are things in their life that deserve their worship and deserve their attention more than they feel Jesus does. And that could be a lot of things. In this man's case, it was his possessions. Rich young ruler wasn't in the parade. He represents a lot of people that you know that are not in this family that we call the family of God. They're focused on other things. They're, they're, they're worshiping other gods. Oh, they're not worshiping a, an idol made of stone, but they're worshiping the God of money or mammon. They don't know that they're doing that, but that's what their lives indicate. That's what they work for. That's what they put more, most of their attention to. Their checkbook indicates that. 
don't think the rich young ruler was there. What about, what about the Pharisee that was in, in a temple one day and, and he was sitting way up close. There was somebody sitting way back there in the back. And, and the person in the back wouldn't even come up close because they were just felt unworthy to come up close in something as holy as the temple. And they sat way back there in the back and they said something like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the Pharisee was up here all proud and he was praying to God and said, God, I'm, literally he says this, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man in the back here. It's there, you can read it. I thank you. You know what I've read in a little bit of, 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 of Jewish history? You know a prayer that the Pharisees prayed? And this shows you a little bit about the, the, the class of women in that day. That the Pharisees would say, God, I thank you, you didn't make me a woman. Tells you a little bit about what Jesus did to, to lift females and to lift women and their status in society. Pharisees up here says, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy sitting back here in the back. This Pharisee was self-righteous. He was a good guy. He probably was a good guy. He probably was an upstanding member of his uh, society. He probably was a, a good guy, but he was self-righteous. He didn't understand he needed a Savior. He couldn't do like Bartimaeus and, and be able to cry, Jesus, have mercy on me. He couldn't be able to say, I'm blind, because he could see. He was a good guy. He was self-righteous. He had his righteousness inside of him. He didn't understand this need for a Savior. He didn't understand sin. He didn't understand that he was in need of Jesus Christ as Savior, and he's self-righteous. And wow... How many people does he represent that wasn't in that parade? How many of our family and friends that will not be in church next Sunday? But if you ask them, they'll tell you they're going to heaven. And if you ask them why, they'd give you some self-answer. Well, one person told me when I asked that question once, she said, well, I forgive other people. Well, good for you. There's some self-answer, some uh, righteousness of my own. Well, I, I try to live my life uh, according to the teachings of the Bible. Well, praise God, good for you. Some people have never come to grips with their own need. And the Pharisee, he wasn't in the parade. A Pharisee, a Pharisee can't. A, a, a Pharisee can't do this. A Pharisee can't. God, come save me. A Pharisee has nothing to celebrate. He's got absolutely nothing to celebrate because it's his own righteousness. And if he comes in here, he doesn't lift his hands in the church. He doesn't clap his hands in the church because he's a good guy. God ought to be glad that he's on his team. He can't do this. I don't think he was in the parade. I don't know. It's absolutely. I'm, I'm using my imagination. I don't think he was in the parade. One other, and I, could, I guess I could go on and on, but I, I'm going to 
stop with this one. What about, what about the elder brother of Luke 15? We all know the story of the prodigal son, and, and, and he asked for his father's inheritance, and he, his father gave him his inheritance. And the Bible says he went and he wasted it on wine and women, and, and he comes back and is gloriously restored, and his father puts a new robe on him and gives him the family ring, and they're going to throw a party for him. And all the time, the elder brother is out in the field and he's working. He's, he's, he's a good worker. He's a diligent worker. He does whatever his dad tells him to do. He is not late for work, and he's just working, and he's working. And he hears about this younger brother comes back, and, and, and he, he, he mumbles that, that dad never gave me a party, and I'm never late for work, and I'm always out here doing this, and I'm always out here doing that. And he mumbles to, about his younger brother, and he, his dad comes out to him and says, Come on into the party. Your brother has returned. And the elder brother in Luke 15 refers to his younger brother, to his dad. He says, this son of yours. You see, this elder brother could not understand that the father loved him. He could not understand that he always had his love. He goes, dad, you've never given me a party. You've never killed the fatted calf for me. And the dad says, son, all I have has always been yours. And he never knew that. He never knew he was secure in his father's love. He never rested in his father's love. He, he never relaxed in his father's love. He never chilled out in his father's love. He was always working. I'm, I'm working, and I'm a good worker. And I'm working. And the younger brother, I'm working. He never understood that he was loved by the father. And he was trying to please the father. And I'm, I'm, I'm working hard, and I'm on time every day. And he was trying so hard to please the father. And he didn't know the father was already pleased. He was trying to please the father, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to please God. It's a good thing to want to be obedient and live a life that glorifies him. But also you must know that as I try to please God, he's already pleased. And why is he pleased? Because he has accepted me in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to live my life to glorify Him. I'm going to be obedient to what I understand to be obedient to. I'm going to apply His grace to my life and let Him smooth out the rough edges of my life. I'm going to do all that. But even when I'm doing all that, I'm already accepted. God loves me with an infinite love and I don't have to work it off. How can the elder brother come and wave his palm branch? When he's paying off the debt. How can you come in here and, and, and shout for joy? How can you come in here and raise your hands? How can you come in here and clap your hands? If you're just trying to be a little better. If you're just going to be a little better next week than this week. If you're just trying to earn his, earn his acceptance in your life. I, I don't think the elder brother was in the parade. I mean, I'm making it up, okay? I'm using my imagination. I'm, I know I'm reading between the lines. Um, would we have been in the parade? If we had lived 2,000 years ago, would, I mean, really? Jesus say yes, isn't it? 
It's easy to say yes. But I know a lot of elder brothers. I know a lot of self-righteous Pharisees. I know a lot of rich young rulers of 2015. Would we have would would we have been in the parade? You and I weren't there, obviously. We weren't in the praise simply because we weren't there. But you, do you know there is coming a day when the Bible says there is going to be another parade? Do you know there is coming a day when the Bible says the palm branches will be waved again? And people will shout something like, salvation is from our God. Hosanna, God save us now. There'll be another day that that will happen. And because that day is some, somewhere off in the future, I don't know, I have no clue when that day is coming. But the book of the Revelation tells us it's coming. John saw a revelation. God revealed some things to John about what was going to happen in the future. And in the book of the Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, this is something that John sees because God revealed it to him. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. You can be in that parade. I can be in that parade. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know when it's coming. You you line 10 preachers up here and there'll be 10 different interpretations of the book of the Revelation. I ain't going there today. But there's coming a day where the Bible says there'll be a throng that's so big that no one can count them. Every tongue, every tribe, and they're waving victory. Salvation is from our God. Hosanna. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the Bible says they'll be in white robes Because of their own righteousness? Are those robes clean and white and pristine because of their own self-righteousness? Well, if you know even this much about the Bible, you know that answer is no. They're clean, white, and pristine because they've been dipped in the blood of the Lamb. You can be in that parade. I'm going to be there. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. You can too. You can too. And I wonder how many today do not know that you know that you know that you're going to be in that parade. It's to you that I'm talking to right now.
You don't know that you know that you know. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans 10 now. Jesus came preaching a message. Repent and believe. And that's exactly what's in that verse because it says, if you will confess Jesus as Lord, how can I confess Jesus as Lord if I don't repent of my own lordship? And my own lordship is my problem and our problem. I can't say Jesus is Lord unless I turn, repent of my own lordship. And that's what all of us want to be is the Lord of our lives, right? Jesus said, repent and believe and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, Romans 10, 9. Then that robe, it's dipped and it's pure. Not because of something you did. Not because of you came to church every Sunday. Not because you tithed. Not because of whatever. It's because you believed of what another has done for you. Listening on the internet or right here in the sanctuary. I want you in that parade. And every pastor here, I see Harold and Nathan's here, Greg Parkman's visiting. Every pastor here understands. We want what I mean when I say we want you in that prayer. Dip that robe. Here at Zinia Nazarene, we have a little parade every single Sunday. People come to our communion tables every single Sunday, and it's something of a parade, not exactly a parade. It's a parade of the people that are not worthy. It's a parade of the people that are sinners. It's a parade of the people that are not righteous in and of themselves. It's a parade of the people that are coming to partake of, of the cup and the bread as a symbol of what Jesus did for them. And a symbol that they believe that. And they believe it so much, they ingest it into their body. It's so much a part of me that I drink the cup and I eat the bread. It's kind of a parade. And many of you will stand this morning and you'll come here and you'll come here and some of you will come to the middle. And you probably won't have your palm branch. And you're probably too sophisticated to shout Hosanna. But you're in the line of the people that Jesus died for. And you believe. And you're thrusting off any supposed goodness of your own in trusting in what another has done for you. The very act of you getting up out of your seat this morning could be an act of repentance. Getting up, leaving your old life, and going to the table, that can be an act of repentance and belief for those who have never believed before. This could be your first day. This could be your first day.
Our servers are coming to the tables, and as they do that, let's pray. Father, you know I've, I've tried to tell the gospel story in a different way this morning. And I pray with everything in me that at least one person this morning that has not believed before takes that step of belief. Maybe one person that has never ever come to the table before because it was too religious or they were uncomfortable. Maybe they'll come this morning and take the cup and take the bread and ingest it into their body as a sign of belief and I'm in this thing lock, stock, and barrel. So Lord, we're going to continue to worship now with your Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist. Father, we know it by a lot of different names. Would you let us continue to worship and stay in a sense of worship as we do this? Amen.